We continue to uh, hear the sermon series titled Discovering God's Desired Future for our church and our community. And we're doing that through as we go through the book of Joshua. And this morning we're going to read from chapter 2. The book of Joshua is about transition and it's a book about change. And Joshua 1, last week we, we began with uh, hearing about a new leader and new opportunities, new beginnings for Israel. And so God sends them into the promised land of Canaan. And the Israelites, they're preparing to cross the Jordan River into the promised land. And crossing over the Jordan River and, and crossing into this unknown territory of Canaan, it was a leap of faith. And several times in the book of Joshua, we hear the phrase, be strong and courageous. Courage and confidence and, and trust and victory were some of the things that we were reminded of in the children's message this morning. And that, that's weaved throughout all of Scripture. What God had in mind for the people of Israel was risky. But keep in mind that God, he was part of this journey. And so Joshua continues his story of risk. Joshua 2, rather. Joshua 2 tells a story about Israel, a, a couple of spies, a prostitute, and also tells a story about our sending God, whom Israel served, and the same sending God whom we serve today. So before we read from Joshua 2, let's come to God in prayer. God, thank you for your word. Bless the reading, the preaching, the listening to your word, so that we again can be reminded of your amazing grace. Amen. Joshua 2, verses 1 to 24. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they've come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I didn't know where they came from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And, soon, and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below." Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and brothers and sisters, all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window. For the house she lived on in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, Go to the hills, so the pursuers will not find you. 
Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless, when we enter the land, you've tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We'll not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away, and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there for three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to him. They said to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In past messages, I've shared about a book that some of you folks have read. And if you haven't read the book, I encourage you to check it out. It's in our library, or you can purchase a copy. And the book is titled Canoeing the Mountains, Christian Leadership in Uncharted Territory by Todd Bolsinger. Now, I'm not so much using this book today for its leadership ideas, but the leadership theme in this book is based on the familiar and well-known adventure of two early American explorers, Meriwether Lewis and William Clark. These two guys were sent out on an expedition by President Thomas Jefferson to explore the western portion of the USA and to find a practical route across the continent, getting there before any European powers. So these two spies, or rather explorers, I guess, took their supplies, their canoes, and their teams and traveled down the Missouri River. And they knew full well that there's going to be challenges before them. But they did assume that the West Coast geography would probably be similar to the East Coast geography. They weren't expecting to find the expanse of the Rocky Mountains. Already in the distance, they could see themselves and get, getting closer to these large objects. And upon arriving before the mountains, they thought, how could we possibly canoe these mountains? Change of plans. Lewis and Clark now needed to travel by foot. They were on terrain and in territory that was unfamiliar to them. So they interviewed some trappers to be able to guide them and to lead them. And, but they also needed uh, someone to assist them in speaking with the indigenous tribes. So they connected with a 16-year-old pregnant indigenous girl named Saka Chawiya. Sorry, I... Apologize for my mispronunciation. Sacagawea. She traveled with them on the expedition. And she was a translator in many situations. She was familiar with much of the territory, which they were not. And she eventually had her baby on this expedition. And she also traveled with her baby. The travelers did not use the typical person to assist them. They used an indigenous woman, likely seen by others, to be someone who was on the fringes. In our reading from Joshua 2, we are introduced to two spies. 
They are sent on an expedition to spy the city of Jericho. They are sent to explore what lies ahead of them in this promised land. The city of Jericho was a powerful city on the Jordan River Valley. It could not be penetrated. It couldn't be conquered. It was a very important city and and was key to West Palestine. It boasted the strongest fortress in all of Canaan. It had double walls separated by 15 feet that surrounded and protected the city. These walls were strong and thick walls. There were houses that were built on these walls. Similar to Lewis and Clark, these two spies of Israel were coming into uncharted territory. They didn't see a mountain before them, but they saw this huge walled city before them. The two spies were on a dangerous mission, they were in dangerous territory. The spies had to cross the Jordan, which was at its peak. It was, it was during the rainy season. And they had to do this twice. They had to swim across the flood, flooded, fast-flowing river. And once they neared Jericho, they had to be careful because the enemy, the people in Jericho, already had heard stories about the Israelites and their conquests. So in this story, we have two spies. And now we're also introduced to a prostitute. On top of one of these city walls was Rahab's house. Rahab lived on the fringes of the city. And she herself was on the fringes as a prostitute. The two spies had been sent by God to Rahab's house so that she can help them escape and eventually make it back safely to their camp. God was once again using a person on the fringe to be part of the story of Israel's journey. God, out of his amazing grace, will use the most unlikely servants for his purposes. And so Rahab, in faith, risked her life to protect the spies. And yet at the same time, she lied to the messengers of the king about the spies being gone. So she was a prostitute and a liar. And her lies are not acceptable to God because God is a God of truth. But her lies again show the extent of God's grace as well. Despite being a liar, despite being a prostitute, God will use Rahab for her faith. And he will use her to further his kingdom on this earth. Rahab actually is one of two women mentioned in Hebrews 11 regarding faith. Rahab is also mentioned in Matthew 1 as part of Jesus' genealogy. Rahab eventually came to live with the people of Israel and married Solomon, who was prince of Judah. Together they had a son, Boaz, who ended up marrying Ruth, and Ruth was great-grandmother to King David, who Jesus came from his line. Rahab is a person on the fringes. She is a person of faith. Now some people would like to have liked to remove the stigma that there's a prostitute related to Jesus. Some would suggest that she was simply a hostess or maybe an innkeeper uh, in the story of Joshua. However, the New Testament is clear that she was a prostitute. And Jesus wasn't ashamed to have a prostitute in his family tree. Jesus was not ashamed to offer the gift of salvation to such a sinner. As we journey through the book of Joshua, and we're using this book to discover God's desire for our church and our community. 
we too are sent out to explore our community. We're to cross over to places that we would not expect to cross over. In our cases, it's not about conquering the town or the city. Please don't do that. Our exploration is not one of military like Lewis and Clark or even like the two spies in Joshua. Our exploration is being able to understand our town. Our exploration is being able to understand why God put our church in this community. And furthermore, who are the people that God desires us to embrace and to listen to and to learn from? I think too often, most churches will sense that God desires us to take care of our own. That our worship and our budgets and our ministries are, are to disciple our children and our youth and ourselves. And all this is important, okay? But these are not the only things that are important. And we have to think beyond our church walls. And we have to cross over that proverbial Jordan River. And we are called to explore the community. And don't be surprised when God puts challenges before us. Maybe a mountain like Lewis and Clark had, or maybe the walls of Jericho like the two spies. And, and God will put people in front of us, people that are on the fringes, like a prostitute from Jericho or a pregnant indigenous girl. Who knows? Who knows who will be on the fringes in our community? A young man living in poverty. A young girl with addictions and in the sex trade. A teen with same-sex attraction. A senior with dementia. A colored person with the trauma of racism. Two married women attending our church with a child who wants to attend Sunday school. Life is complicated, right? And it's interesting that in the story of Lewis and Clark and of Joshua, it's the people on the fringes who assist those who are exploring It's people on the fringes who become important parts of our journey. So how can we as a church embrace all people? What can we as a church listen and learn from those who are on the fringes? So here we have this story. Two spies, one prostitute, and we have an awesome and sending God. And so that's another important theme that comes from this passage In the exploration of Jericho, in the exploration of our communities, we don't go on our own initiative. We go with God. We go with his initiatives. Because our God is ascending God. He has sent Israel out on a journey from Egypt into the wilderness. And he did so with the intention of them eventually reaching the promised land of Canaan. And before Israel is being sent over the Jordan, God sent two spies representing the nation of Israel. And despite the danger and the risk, these spies were still sent out by God. And when God sends his people out, the cool thing is that God precedes his people. Think about it. God even sent his son, Jesus Christ, out. And when God sent Jesus out, God preceded his son. Jesus was preceded by several Old Testament prophets, preparing people for his coming. Jesus was preceded by John the Baptist, preparing the way, preparing people's hearts. When God sends us out, we are reminded that God precedes 
any work that we do. The people of Israel, they didn't randomly stumble across this land. No. It was promised by God. It was God who sent them to this land. It was God who gave them this promised land to the people of Israel. And remember, they had to claim this inheritance. And their actions and their work were to demonstrate not only their faith in God, their actions and their work were to demonstrate the power that God has to win his battles. And so even before the two spies entered into Jericho, the Lord was at work in Jericho. The Spirit of the Lord preceded the work of Joshua and the spies. The Lord sent these spies into the protection of Rahab, the prostitute. As mentioned earlier, God's grace is not limited to anyone. God worked through the people of Jericho. And because of the people of Jericho, they already heard the stories of God's great power. Rahab mentioned that she knew that the Lord had given this land to the Israelites. And who was she to stand in the way of the Lord? She shares that the people of Jericho have heard about how God dried up the Red Sea for the people to cross. How by God's people, the, the, how by God's power rather, the people of Israel, they destroyed Sihon and Og and, and the two kings of the Amorites. You can read that in Numbers 21. God's spirit was at work putting fear into the people of Jericho. But the people of Jericho, they were only afraid of the Lord. They didn't have faith in the Lord. But for Rahab, this fear turned into faith. And this too is where the Spirit's work preceded that of the work of the spies. You see, there was assumption and there was a worldview that nobody could penetrate this fortress of Jericho. Rahab didn't subscribe to that worldview. She followed her personal faith that the Lord can do anything. Rahab believed that God was stronger. She believed that, yes, Jericho was conquerable. It was conquerable by God. In verse 11, she proclaims the words, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Rahab recognizes that it is by the Lord's power and faithfulness that God can save her and her family from the destruction that was going to take place in Jericho. She believed so strongly in God that she didn't even worry about the risks that she was taking in hiding these two spies and lying to the messengers of the king. God's saving grace was already at work in Rahab. God's saving grace led these men into her house where they were protected by her, and they were witness to God's power through her profession of faith. God's mighty hand is at work in Rahab. The Lord used her to save the spies. And on account of her faith, the Lord will save her and her family from destruction. The sign of this this oath was to hang a scarlet rope outside her window. And this scarlet rope, it reminds us of the red blood The blood that was poured out on the door frames of the Israelites during their slavery in Egypt, protecting their firstborn from children, firstborn children from the angel of death, as we read the story in Exodus 12. The sign of the scarlet rope points us forward to the coming of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, who is a sacrificial lamb for all our sins. Jesus, whose red blood was spilled for our sins. Jesus, who was sent by God. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Jesus is our salvation. And recall that Joshua, the word, the name Joshua means salvation. God is a sending out God. He's missional. And he desires to save his people. John 20, verse 21, we read these words from Jesus. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus was sent out to explore and to reach out into the surrounding communities of Judah and Israel and Samaria. The Israelites would not, would not have wanted Jesus to have gone to those hated Samaritans. But Jesus didn't listen to the prevailing religious leaders. He listened to his father. He listened to those who were on the fringes. And he preached to and healed those on the fringes. Jesus had dinner and associated closely with tax collectors and sinners and, and prostitutes. Jesus himself was on the fringes. And God used his son to save people and forgive sins and to be the hope of the nations. And just as Jesus was sent out, we his people are sent out. And we are called to share this good news with all people. Wherever we are sent and wherever we go, we will find sinners. And then we'll recognize that we're no different from others. And that we too are sinners. And we thank God for the saving grace and power of Jesus Christ. You see, let's not forget that we were once a people probably beyond the fringes. Ephesians 5 verse 8. For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Ephesians 2 verse 3, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But it doesn't end there. Thankfully, our God doesn't leave us there. He comes to us, and out of his grace and out of his love, he adopts us as his children. Galatians 3, 26-29, we read, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. And there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Adopted by God through his son, Jesus Christ. And so God sends us out as his children to have faith, faith like Rahab, and to know that there is salvation through Jesus. God sends us out to proclaim the gospel message that Jesus Christ is Joshua. He is salvation. He is the Savior. And God sometimes sends us out into unknown territory, or maybe he will send us out into familiar territory, but it might be rather uncomfortable. But God sends us out into, the, into our communities. This is not something new. Our church has been part of this community for probably 70 years. And so how well does our community know us? How well do we know our community? And you know what? Without a doubt, there's likely many stories that many of you can share 
of God's faithfulness in this community and among his people. And throughout all these stories, as you share them, one common theme is that the Lord has preceded all this work. See, our God is a sending God. He's a God on mission. And wherever he sends us, wherever we go, the Lord is already there ahead of us. He's preparing the groundwork. The Lord, through the Holy Spirit, is working in his people. He's opening hearts. He's preparing the way in order that his words can fall upon receptive ears and hearts. And that's the neat thing about the Lord. We can't even pre-guess his work. We simply go out and do his work and let the Lord surprise us. Knowing, though, that he's there ahead of us. God precedes the work in our church. God precedes the work in our communities. God's preparing our hearts, and he's preparing the hearts of others. And we just have to surrender to his Spirit's work in us. So who will God use today? I hope he'll use all of us. And we can move forward in faith because God is already present. God is already ahead of us. Yeah, the story of Joshua involves risk. And we go out with risk. But with the Lord's help, the spies prevailed. And with the Lord's help, we can prevail. And Christ's church and kingdom can grow. Remember, we heard in the children's message too that we have victory through God's Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. So let's continue to seek God and discover God's desired future for His church and His community. Amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we thank you that from your word we can be reminded that you are always present. In fact, you always precede us. You go before us and you prepare the path that we're to take. And you even did that for us through your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you. Help us, Lord, to be obedient to your will. Help us to go forward in the confidence and the faith that you are there ahead of us. And Lord, we pray that as we go out, we too will have the grace and compassion to seek those on the fringes and to listen and to learn from those on the fringes. And we pray that we may never cease to follow your will in for your church, and that we will always strive to move forward to further your kingdom work. Lord, may we get excited to where you are leading us and where you are working ahead of us in this church and in this community. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.